0: Well, I invite you to turn with me in your Bible to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Uh, we are looking together at 1 Thessalonians in the coming week weeks, um, a letter with five chapters filled with good and godly counsel to the saints as to how we are to live before the Lord, but also with much encouragement and joy. As we're going to see in this first chapter, the apostle was overjoyed at how God had worked in the church, was working in the church, and he calls the church to do likewise, acknowledging that it is God who is at work among his people to build his kingdom through us. And so, looking together at that first chapter, we read Paul, Silvanus, or Silas, and Timothy To the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of our God and Father. Knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God for our gospel, did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth not only in Macedonia and Achaia, But also in every place your faith toward God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything for they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Amen. Beloved servants of Christ our King, if you felt led to plant a church, you wouldn't just go out and do it, would you? No, you would start with a good bit of planning. Studying perhaps the population of the area where you felt called to plant that church. Getting a feel for the resources at your disposal. Lining up Support for the work. You would work hard to build relationships, to gather together a core group that would serve as the foundation of the outreach. And even then, all of your hard work, and there would be much hard work to gather together and build this congregation. All of your hard work would be useless apart from the blessing of God upon that work. And having been involved with a church plant, I know that there is a lot of hard work. And often, I think the norm is that the growth is slow, it's painstaking, it's difficult work. What you would not do, or expect to do, is what Paul did at the the city of Thessalonica. On his second missionary journey, Paul, along with Silas, encountered substantial opposition to the preaching of the gospel. And so when they were in Philippi, they ended up in jail. Until finally being released from jail, they were sent out of the city, banished, as it were, by the city fathers. That brought them to Thessalonica, a city in the Roman province of Macedonia in what is now Greece. It was a prominent seaport, and it was also located on the main road from Rome to the east. So this was a prominent, important city. But Paul wasn't there for long. Acts 17 tells us that when he got to Thessalonica, he went and began preaching in the synagogue, as was his habit. And for three weeks he proclaimed Christ in the synagogue. And a few of the Jews... Turned to the Lord, but not many. For the most part, he convinced God-fearing Gentiles to trust in the Lord. And that excited the jealousy of the Jews who began opposing him, speaking against him, and eventually manipulating both the officials of the city and the citizenry itself to the point where they raised up a mob intending to cast Paul and Silas out. So they had, from what we can gather, less than a month in the city of Thessalonica to preach the gospel and lead a group to Christ, to disciple those who had come to the knowledge of the Lord, and to establish a church where the saints would faithfully worship the Lord. Three weeks to plant a church. And then Paul and Silas were gone, leaving the young minister Timothy on his own to shepherd and disciple and build this group that God had gathered. None of the authorities on church planting would ever recommend that method. And so we can understand why Paul and Silas were so overjoyed when Timothy finally rejoined them. See, this was all providential. They hadn't planned on staying in Thessalonica so briefly, nor, for that matter, in Philippi. But God ordained all of that because he wants us to see that he uses the situation it's not what we have laid out it's not what we have planned that makes the church a success or not it's what God does that builds his church and establishes it strong after they left Thessalonica Paul and Silas ministered in Berea and then Paul moved on to Athens where he was for a brief time and then he went to establish a church in Corinth And it was there sometime later that Timothy came and rejoined Paul and Silas bringing news about the church in Thessalonica. And that news filled them with joy because they saw that God had been working to strengthen and bless this group of disciples. And so Paul wrote this letter that we find here in response to what he heard from Timothy. It's a letter filled with good practical counsel for how the people of God ought to live in the church. But more than that, a letter that's filled with celebrating, with rejoicing, with thanksgiving for all that God was doing in his church. And that's the theme really we find in this first chapter. Here God's servants celebrate the spiritual strength of a committed church. That's our theme And it's a theme that we need to consider well because the encouragement and the instruction given here by the Apostle are essential for us as we seek to be a church that is committed to our Savior and King. God's servants celebrate the spiritual strength of a committed church. And that celebration begins with Paul and Silas rejoicing in the power of the gospel in that church. Now... It's really no surprise, given the circumstances of how the church was founded, that Paul would rejoice at what Timothy said. Surely he would have rejoiced just to hear that the church was still scraping along. But they weren't just scraping along, were they? They were thriving. Paul And so Paul and Silas rejoiced. They gave thanks for what they heard. But notice, they gave thanks to God for what they heard. Paul recognized very explicitly that the health and the strength of the church in Thessalonica were not dependent on the brief work that he and Silas had done. Even if their work had been perfect, three weeks is not enough time to lay the foundation that a church needs. Nor was the strength of the church to be found in Timothy. Timothy, from what we know of him, was a passionate and skillful young minister. But he was still one man. And a man with flaws and faults, just like all of us. It was God alone who led Paul and Silas to Thessalonica. It was God alone who used the word they preached to draw together the the people whom he had set apart for himself. It was God who caused the preaching of the word to take deep root in their hearts so quickly... And it was God who used Timothy and the preaching and the teaching and the counseling and the guidance that he gave. All of the blessing that they had known, God is the one who gave it. And so Paul gives thanks to God continually for the work that he did and was doing among these saints. Notice what it was that inspired Paul's thanksgiving. The three things he remembers in verse 3. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith. That refers to the work that faith produced in them. Visiting orphans and widows in their time of need. Feeding the hungry, clothing the sick, visiting the the imprisoned. James 2 says, Faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. And the church in Thessalonica was revealing that their faith was not dead, that it was very much alive because of the works that they did. That's how they demonstrated the truth of their faith and also their labor of love. That term there for labor has an idea of struggle, of striving. It's hard work. Paul heard of the hard work they were doing of loving those who in their sin were unlovable. The hard work of walking alongside of those who are wrestling with their sin. The hard work of weeping with those who mourn and, and confronting those who are comfortable in their sin. That, that's hard work, but it can be motivated only by, by the love of God that is within us. And they're showing that kind of love. Meanwhile, he remembers their patience of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. These Thessalonians were were patient. They're willingly enduring the persecution that they've been enduring. They're persevering, even when it seems like all of society is against them. That kind of patience doesn't come natural to us. Naturally, when we receive persecution, when we receive pushback, We draw back from that. We try to take the easiest path, right? But it is because of the hope of Jesus Christ that they persevere. The confident hope of His victory over these enemies before them. The sure hope that He will soon return to make all things new. It's because of their hope in Him and the knowledge that their neighbors need that hope that they cannot do otherwise than to persevere in the work that they're doing. And so Paul and Silas, they give thanks because they remember the work of God in in these Christians as the one who makes their faith fruitful, who makes their love powerful, who causes their hope to be sufficient to persevere. In fact, remembering these things convinces Paul that these folks are God's elect. Now understand what he's saying there. He's not saying individually, head for head, every single individual in that church is elect. He's not saying that. What he's saying is the work that is being done among them and through them is sufficient to demonstrate that this church is filled with the people whom God has chosen. That this congregation is not a false church. It's a true church filled with the elect of God. He recognizes that because he knows, first of all, that the Word came to them. It is God who sent Paul and Timothy there. Or Paul and and Silas there. It's God who raised up Timothy to be their minister. God is the one who put the, the word there, but also the power. Now that could refer to the miraculous works that the apostles were sometimes able to do. But more likely, Paul is looking back at the things that he has seen in them. The work of faith, the labor of love, the patience of hope, these things are unnatural to sinful mankind. They arise only through the working of God within us, empowering us to do them. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit. He is the one by whom God sends faith, hope, and love to His people. He's the one who turns the elect away from their idols and unto the living God. The Holy Spirit transforms God's elect From those who bore the image of the evil one to those who bear the image of Christ. And it's through the work of the Holy Spirit, through the power of God, that they now have assurance. And that, in the apostles' eyes, is decisive. These folks belong to God. He chose them. And therefore, God Himself will keep them to the very end. Do you see that same evidence of election here? It is what we should expect. I mean, the Word is among us. We have it preached to us twice every Lord's Day. We study it together as youths and as adults. But is it accompanied by the power of the Holy Spirit? I mean, God alone is able to send the Holy Spirit. So surely we should pray for His power and we should look for the evidence that He's at work among us. Look for the signs That Paul saw at Thessalonica. Do we see in our midst works of faith? I think we do. We have folks who speak the gospel to their neighbors and co-workers. We have folks serving both formally and informally. The least and the lost in our community. We have folks who faithfully tithe. And who freely give of the the talents and gifts God has given to them. Could we see more works of faith? Absolutely. And we should sincerely pray for more. We should be striving together to demonstrate our faith by what we do. But I believe we are seeing those works of faith. How about our labor of love? Are we seeing that? I've witnessed my fellow church members forgiving those who sinned against them, reconciling with those who've hurt them. I've seen parents discipling their children faithfully and attentively. Elders walking persistently alongside of those who are going astray in their sin, seeking to draw them back. That's hard work that can only be done through the love of Christ. So praise the Lord for that. What about patience of hope? There too. We see the evidence among us, don't we? We see folks who've struggled for years with depression, who keep on day by day by day, looking to the hope of Christ to sustain them. We see folks who, who are recoverers from grief, who grieve deeply the, the death of loved ones who meant so much to them, who now take their hope and their confidence to those who are grieving fresh wounds, fresh loss. We have members who struggle with illness and disease, who daily draw on the hope of God to get them through. So we see this encouraging work that Paul and Silas saw. Now, I don't say that at all out of pride. It is God alone who can produce these works among us. Of ourselves, we would never. But when we see those works of God, brothers and sisters, we must acknowledge God's grace. And we must long for even more. We ought to be praying fervently and frequently that God would multiply His works among us. And having prayed, we need to act in the confidence that God will hear that prayer. That means we need to encourage one another in those works of faith. We need to set an example by laboring among the saints in a way that shows the love of the Lord. We need to cultivate in ourselves a patience born of the hope of Christ. God delights in that kind of response to his gospel. So let us ask him to empower that work within us. And then let us live with the assurance that he will provide what we seek. And more than that, let us give thanks for what we do see. Because when we see this work in our midst, it's not the product of my teaching. It's not the the result of of our elders' shepherding or the the example set by the deacons. God does use those men whom He calls to these offices. But it is God who uses them. It is God who provides. It is God who brings forth this evidence of our election. So let us give Him thanks for what He has done. And let us give Him thanks for what He will do. Brothers and sisters, we should be rejoicing in the power of the gospel among us. Well, back to Thessalonica, Paul notes that these Christians don't just keep their faith to themselves. They don't do the works and shut their mouths and be quiet. No, they spread the faith to those around them. And this too leads Paul to rejoice, to celebrate, recognizing the spread of the gospel through them. The apostle starts this section by pointing out in the end of verse 5, you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. You see, the best witness, the most effective witness often that we can bring is ourselves. As we live before people, they see the kind of people we are. We can talk all we want about the love of God, but if they see in us the antithesis of love, our words will mean nothing to them. We can talk about the holiness of God or the joy of salvation, but if they see in us hypocrisy or if they see in us misery, then our words will carry no weight. Paul knew that and so a big part of his ministry was spreading in in spreading the gospel was was living in a way that demonstrated the character of Christ living in a way that showed the joy of salvation living in a way that revealed the love of Christ to them and the Christians of Thessalonica they saw that not only did they accept the witness that he that he portrayed and that he spoke but they imitated Paul and Silas becoming examples for others. What's that mean? Well, like the Apostle, they endured affliction for the sake of the Lord. From the very start, the Thessalonian Christians saw the kind of reception that Christians receive by unbelievers. I mean, Paul was with them for less than a month. And in that time, he was slandered. He was cast out of the synagogue The city fathers were stirred up against Him. They saw a mob come against His host. They saw them cast out of the city. They knew that's the kind of reception that they might receive if they received Christ. And yet they received Him anyway. And they didn't do so secretly. They didn't do so hiding their light under a bushel. No. Knowing the cost. Knowing the possible consequences. They spoke. They acted. They were out there with their faith. And they did it all with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Their joy was not dependent on their circumstances. No, this was a joy born of the knowledge of the gospel, born of the, the presence of the Spirit. It was a joy divine that allowed them to rejoice even when their neighbors were slandering them, that allowed them to celebrate even when their family was cutting them off. Surely this joy was evidence That their faith was a work of the Holy Spirit, not of man. And in fact, they soon became examples themselves. Despite how spiritually young this church was, despite the persecution they were enduring, nonetheless, they spoke, verse 8, for from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Now the verb there is interesting. The word of the Lord has sounded forth. That has a sense of of ringing out, of reverberating like a, a bell. We have a dinner bell out on our uh, our porch. It's come in handy when the kids, especially when the kids were young or, or now when my youngest is out playing, you ring that bell and it echoes. Beautiful thing about a, a a good bell, it echoes, it reverberates and you can just hear it going across the land. Well, that's what the Word was doing from these saints in Thessalonica. They were, were not speaking meekly or, or privately out of fear. No, they were proclaiming Christ Jesus for all to hear. They were bold in declaring the gospel regardless of the result, regardless of the, the implications of it for them. They spoke boldly and clearly about what they believed and the result was striking. Not just in Thessalonica did their witness go forth, but throughout the province of Macedonia and neighboring Achaia and even beyond. Remember, these Christians lived in a crossroads. There was a, a very busy seaport in Thessalonica. And the main thoroughfare going from Rome to territories in the east ran right through their city. And they took advantage of that. When people came to visit They took them in, they welcomed them, they showed them love, and they spoke to them about Christ. And from them, that word spread throughout the empire. No wonder Paul could say in verse 7, You became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. In fact, so bold was their witness that Paul and Silas were being put out of work. He says in verse 8, Your faith toward God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. Anything. For they themselves declare concerning us. You hear what he's saying there? Paul introduces himself to someone, and they go, "Oh, Paul, I heard about you. Yeah, aren't you the one that, that came with that other guy, Silas, and you went to Thessalonica and they've already got their work done for them. The Thessalonian Christians told how Paul and Silas came to Thessalonica. the, the love they showed even as unbelievers showed hatred. The truth they proclaimed to free men from death. The way they worked hard with their hands to set an example for the saints. They told how the preaching of Paul and Silas led them to repent. The the idols, they had embraced all their lives. They cast aside no matter what it cost. They told about the grace of Christ that Paul and Silas proclaimed. How there's nothing that we need to do or accomplish to make us right with God. That Jesus did everything. And they told about the preaching of God's law that reveals our sin and and renders us without excuse before God. And how it it humbles us and draws us to the throne of Christ. And how it, it leads us to a life of repentance. These Christians of Thessalonica were telling all about what they heard and what they saw. And about the hope that was within them. They told others how how the God whom we serve as Christians is the true God. He's not like all of those idols that exist in so many number in every Roman city. No, no. This is the one who created the heavens and the earth and everything in them. This is the one who sustains every creature, whether they believe in Him or not, every single day. This is the God who is our judge. We'll all stand before Him one day. But He's also the God who loved people enough to send His beloved Son to suffer the penalty that we deserved to suffer so that we might enjoy the, the love and the fellowship with God that He alone truly deserved. They spoke, in short, the truth of the gospel that gives us life and peace. This was their testimony. This was their hope. This was their passion before their neighbors. And so Paul gave thanks knowing that this kind of testimony is deeply honoring to God. Are you that committed to your Savior? Perhaps we're not that committed because we haven't known affliction. We haven't had to pay the price for speaking of Christ. We haven't seen the intrinsic value of this message as it's reflected in the hatred of those who still hate the Lord. But in persecution or out, we need to recognize what the Christians of Thessalonica knew. And that is that without Christ, we have no hope, without Christ, we have no future. Without Christ, our lives have no meaning, no purpose. Without Christ, we are emptiness, living for an empty moment. We need to wrestle with that. If you truly know your sin, if you truly understand how deeply offensive that sin is to God, then you'll start to see the value of the gospel. Study the law of God. Study the commands that He gives. Look at how far short you fall and then realize that there's no way you can take hold of those commands and climb them like a ladder to God. You can't do it. The only way to God, the only way to blessedness, the only way to peace is through our Lord Jesus Christ. If you get that, if you understand that, then you will see how desperately your neighbor needs to hear what you've heard. Unless they hear it, unless they respond by the faith that God alone can give, unless they hear it, they have no hope. And you see how empty some of their lives are. They struggle and they strive every single day at work just so they can make it to the weekend, so they can forget, so they can... Put it all aside for a moment. And then by Monday they come dragging into work because they spent the weekend partying. They spent the weekend forgetting. They spent the weekend working hard at their hobby, doing something to try to make their life seem purposeful. But they don't find their purpose in their work. They don't find their purpose in their family. They don't find their purpose even in those things that they enjoy. It's empty. And it's going to be followed by isolation. You think this isolation is bad. Hell is infinitely worse. It's the absence of the presence of the power of God. It's the absence of all the good that God pours out on us here below. It's the absence of that close and loving fellowship in which we delight. And that's what your neighbor is headed for unless they hear the gospel. And God is ordained to use us. Just like He used the Christians of Thessalonica. Understand when He says to them, From you the word of the Lord has sounded forth not only in Macedonia and in Achaia, but in every place your faith in God has gone out. When he says that, he's not talking about the minister. The minister was with him. That was Timothy. He's talking to all the other people. They're the ones who are ensuring that the word goes out. You see, it's not the job of The minister and the the elders and the deacons to make sure that people hear the gospel. That's not their job. Their job is to equip you to do the work of ministry. Their job is to equip you to go forth. And I rejoice to see here in Pella that we have folks among us who are doing that who are talking to their coworkers about what they believe, who are encouraging their neighbors to begin reading the Bible, who are inviting their friends and their relatives to come and worship when we're able to worship together. But we need to do so all the more. So let us pray for what we lack. Let us pray that God would give us a deeper, more passionate recognition of our need. And our neighbor's need. Let us ask Him to give us love for our neighbor that will not allow us to be silent. Let us ask Him to give us such a passion for Christ. Such a love for our neighbor that we cannot be silenced. And then let us go in the power that He gives to love our neighbor. To get to know our neighbor. To build a relationship with our neighbor. So that when we speak, they will desire to hear us. And then, brothers and sisters, let us give thanks. Let us give thanks, recognizing that the spread of the gospel through us is the work of God in us. And my friends, my friends, I say this with great gratitude. As I look at this congregation. As I studied this passage this last week. And I looked at the signs that led Paul. To celebrate and give thanks to God. Know that I give thanks for the work that God has been doing among us. For the way that he has been bringing us out of our shell. And sending us into the community. And so I urge you to pray. To this end. That God would multiply this work among us. Because I love to see. God being glorified by these saints. By these whom he has gathered. His elect in Pella. May God hear our prayer. Increase our passion. And use us powerfully for his glory. Amen. Let us pray. O Lord, our Heavenly Father, we thank You and we praise You for the work that You have been doing among the saints here in Pella. We pray that You would continue to multiply our works of faith, our labor of love, our patience of hope, that You would demonstrate that we are Your elect and that You would send us forth with great power to proclaim the Gospel to all who will hear. Father, we know that we cannot and we will not do this apart from your power within us. And so we pray that you would work with great power among us and through us. That you might delight in the work that comes forth from this congregation and from every congregation represented among those who who hear this message today. And Father, we ask this in the name of Jesus, our Savior and our King. Amen.